The reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 1. And this can be found on page 886 in the Church Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Thank you very much, Wendy, for reading for us. Thank you to musicians for leading us through um, this morning. Um, as you know, John, this is our Christmas series in John's Gospel. Uh, we're going to spend a bit of time in John chapter 1 this morning. We're going to look particularly at verses 6 to 13. It would really help you just to have the Bible open there in front of you. Uh, we'll turn to a couple of other places in John as well, so and that's going to help you. And then on the service sheet you were given when you came in, just on the back of that, there's a brief outline of, of where we're going. Let me pray as we come to... God's words. But God, our Father, we thank you once again for the gift of your word. Thank you that you've given us uh, your very words, words which you have spoken uh, through your apostle. And we pray, therefore, this morning, as we come to listen, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we might receive your word gladly, and that we might come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps for the first time, 
or perhaps for um, the thousandth time, that we would trust him again um, as we hear of him. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, who is the baby at the centre of the Christmas story? That's the big question that we're uh, thinking about over the course of our Christmas uh, period. Who is he? What is his identity? And how should we respond to him? That's really the question that we have put before us in John chapter 1. Who is Jesus Christ and how should we respond to him? And there are lots of responses to him. There are lots of opinions about him uh, today. He's a figure that causes much interest and much debate. So the Jewish person says, well, he was a blasphemer. He was a false teacher. The Muslim says that he was a prophet who spoke God's word, but just a prophet, that's all. A Hindu might say, well, he's one of many gods who's taken on uh, another form. Buddhist says a holy man, someone who cares for the poor. A Jehovah's Witness, they say, well, he's a lesser God. He's been created by God. And the atheist says a historical figure. A man, maybe a good man, but just a man, that's all. And of course, the agnostic says, well, I I don't know, um, but I'm open to possibilities. Lots of opinions, lots of reactions to who this baby Jesus is. What do you say? Who is Jesus Christ? And who you think he is, it will of course govern how you react to him, won't it? How you respond to him. Now the Apostle John was one of Jesus' closest friends during his time here on earth. John was himself probably just a teenager when he met Jesus for the first time. And he describes himself throughout his gospel account as the one whom Jesus loved. That is, he's a close friend. Along with his brother James and with Peter, John was on the inner circle of Jesus' ministry. He knew what was going on. He spent time with Jesus. He followed him around for years. He lived in his pocket. He listened to his teaching. He saw what he did. He saw what he did in public, but he also saw what he did in private. John was even there at Jesus' death, the only disciple at the cross. No one knew Jesus better than John. So who better to answer the question for us, who is Jesus Christ? John's answer in chapter 1 of his gospel, which we began last week, is really staggering. John introduces us to Jesus not through the birth stories like Matthew and Luke, not through his ministry like Mark, No, he goes way, way back into eternity past. We heard last week, Robin preached to us verses 1 to 5. We heard three things about the identity of Jesus before he entered this world as the Christmas baby. We heard, number one, that Jesus is the word of God, the supreme expression of the revelation of God to humanity. Jesus is the word Two, we heard that Jesus is eternal God himself. The word was God, verse 1. Not a God, but God, capital G, the creator of the universe, the God of the Bible, the one through whom all things were made. 
And then three, we heard that Jesus is God the Son, the second member of the Trinity. The Word not only was God, but he was with God in the beginning. These are big truths. John's been looking back into eternity past and revealing that Jesus is far bigger, far greater than we realise. That packaged into that tiny wriggling baby is the awesome eternal creator God. The Word, God the Son, fully God and fully human. And then John's begun to explain to us the effect that this person of Jesus has as he comes into the world. And this is verses 4 and 5. He began to speak of Jesus as a light, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John speaks of this world as if it's a place of darkness, like it was in the beginning before God spoke and the lights were turned on. And we know that to be true, don't we? We know that to be true in the world out there. We know it's a dark place. And if we're really honest, we know that it's dark in here too. We see around us the sickness, suffering, sin, selfishness, sadness. The world is dark. And this person of Jesus, the Word, says John, is the life and light that drives all the darkness away. The light shines in the darkness. And more than that, this light of Jesus cannot be defeated by that darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. That was last week, that's what we saw. Now if John was speaking in verses 1 to 5 of the background of Jesus, the eternity, looking back into eternity, well in the section that we're going to look at this morning, verses 6 to 13, John is looking at the entry of Jesus into this world. And he explains to us the reactions to the light of Christ as Christ comes into the world. He's going to speak of three different things. He'll speak of the witness to the light, the rejection of the light, and then the reception of the light. That's where we're going to go this morning. The witness, the rejection, and the reception. That's what we'll see. So first of all, verses 6 to 9, we see the witness. In verse 6, the Gospel writer tells us about a witness to the coming of Jesus, a man with the same name as him, a guy called John, the one we often call John the Baptist. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The witness. Now, even with all the advances in modern technology, the the video recordings, the forensics, the DNA evidence, even with all of that, uh, witnesses still play an important part in our justice system. They'll often provide a statement, a statement of a testimony of the facts of what they've seen and heard. And they're taken seriously by the court, and rightly so. They provide crucial evidence. 
And likewise, the witnesses were central to the Jewish legal system. You needed to have multiple witnesses uh, to get to the truth of the matter and to be able to either convict or acquit a criminal or someone of a crime. Now, in, in this Gospel account, John makes much of witnesses, the various witnesses to Jesus Christ. So he picks out a Samaritan woman in chapter 4. She says, she's a witness. He says, the works of Jesus in the Old Testament, they're witnesses too, that's chapter 5. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the apostles, John himself, the crowds, they're all witnesses, many, many witnesses to testify to the truth about Jesus. But the first of these, as the other gospel writers also say, the first of these is John the Baptist. We're told here that he was sent from God. Now that phrase puts him in really exalted company in the Bible, with people like Moses and the prophets. He has a divine commission from God to speak the truth about this light, the person of Jesus. Now, we're not to be confused. Um, Some people did get this confused in those days. John himself is not the light. He's just a witness. We're not to look at him. We're to listen to him about who he's speaking about, to pay attention to his testimony so that we might believe in Jesus. He's going to speak of the light, verse 9, the true light, which enlightens everyone who was coming into the world. But what was John's testimony? What did he actually say? And well, let's read on in this gospel and listen to what John the Baptist says. He actually says quite a lot. We're only going to look at a little bit of that this morning. Um, first bit you can see just on the second column of um, the page, um, chapter 1, verse 29. Uh, there we find John standing by the River Jordan and he sees Jesus approaching. And this is what he says when he sees Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now that statement might be a little bit confusing because we know that John was physically born before Jesus. John is older than Jesus. But here he testifies that Jesus is one of greater importance than him Because he has eternal pre-existence. He was before me. And he speaks of Jesus' coming work of atonement on the cross as our substitute sacrifice. Those of us who have been in Genesis 22, this should be familiar for us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John says, this Jesus, he's the one He's the one who will die in our place for our sins. He's the one who will bear the wrath of God for us. He's the one who's our substitute so that we can be forgiven and gain eternal life. It's amazing testimony. And then just a few verses further on, verse 32 to 34. And John bore witness... I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. 
and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. See there are the two references to John's bearing witness is there in verse 32 and verse 34. This is John's testimony. Here is this man Jesus. He's not merely a man, but is also the spirit-filled Son of God. What a claim that is. Now, what did the people who heard John the Baptist speak at that time, what did they make of his testimony? I mean, these are pretty outrageous claims, aren't they? They just think, look, this is just a nutter, isn't it? The spirit-filled Son of God who will lay down in his life as a sacrifice in our place for our sins. It's an astonishing claim. What did the people who heard it make of John's testimony? Well, we're told the answer, and it's in chapter 10. So if you just keep your finger in John 1 and flick over to chapter 10, uh, we can see what they thought. And just at the end of chapter 10, um, in verses, uh, four, verse 41. Now, by this point in the gospel, they've, Jesus has been around a bit more. So people have seen Jesus' miraculous signs, and they've heard Jesus teach the people uh, many different things. The people have got to know Jesus by this point. And the crowds who saw Jesus, well, they corroborate John's testimony. Verse 41. John, John the Baptist, did no sign, but everything that John said about this man, Jesus, was true. So the crowds who were there at the time, they conclude about John's testimony that he's telling the truth. That Jesus is the sin-bearing lamb. He is the spirit-filled son of God. It's all true. I'll come back to John chapter 1. This is our first point this morning, that there are many witnesses to Jesus. You can read the rest of John and discover many more. But the first was John the Baptist... And his testimony about Jesus was true. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. The true light which enlightens everyone who was coming into the world. John's job is to get people ready for the light and life that Jesus offers by testifying about him so that they might respond in believing in Jesus. What do we make of the testimony of John that Jesus is the the sin-bearing substitute and spirit-filled Son of God? Well, there are two basic reactions that we can make. And these are given to us in the next uh, verses. We can either reject Jesus or we can receive Jesus. Reject or receive Uh, Verses 10 to 11, we see the first reaction, uh, the rejection. Now, can you remember when you were a teenager? Um, For some of you, that's not very long ago, or you still are a teenager, and you remember very clearly. Um, For others of you, it's something way back in the midst of time, uh, when the the world was young, and uh, you can have a vague recollection uh, of that. Now, when you were a teenager, I wonder if this ever happened uh, to you. You're in bed, 
fast asleep, dreaming sweet dreams, and then suddenly you find yourself flinching and squinting as a bright light pierces your eyeballs, and your dad flicks on the light switch, he rips open the curtains and says, up you get, rise and shine, it's time for school. And you go, oh, dad, leave me alone. Do you ever have that? It's a terrible experience as a teenager. Uh, It is a much more fun one, though, when you get to be a dad. (laughs) Turning on the lights for people when they're asleep and in the dark is an unpleasant experience. It's one that we naturally react badly to, even if we know deep down that it's good for us to wake up, and even if we know that we were never going to wake up unless someone did it. We'd much rather remain asleep in the dark. That's where we're comfortable. Now, we might be expecting that's the overwhelming reaction to the light coming into the world, to Jesus entering this world, well, that it would be a positive one. That people in this dark world, with all its unpleasantness, with all the sickness and the suffering and the sin and the selfishness and the sadness all around us, we might think that we would welcome a light that would dispel the shadows. That's not what happened when Jesus came. We're too comfortable being in the dark to welcome the entry of a shining light like Jesus. Just like the teenager who swears at their father for awakening them to the day. This world hated the light when he came. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. In John, the world is this earthly realm that God created, but which has turned in rebellion against its maker. Jesus himself made the world, yet when he came into the world, when he took on human flesh, he was not recognised by the world he'd made. When he came to his own, to his own people, they did not want him, they did not receive him. Humanity as a whole, Gentile and Jew, the people he has made, the people that belong to him, they reject him. We reject our creator and our king. We reject the light in the darkness. And so we count ourselves out of the light that he offers. When Jesus came, we we should have crowned him with a crown of glory. But instead we crucified him with a crown of thorns. In John's account of the cross... Both Jew and Gentile are complicit in rejecting him. We read some of that to you. John 19, we read that Pilate, the Roman governor, took Jesus and flogged him. And the Roman soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Then later, John 19, verse 13, Pilate brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, 
Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So Pilate delivered him over to them to be crucified. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is how humanity treated the baby in the manger. This is how we treated the Word, the revelation of God, the Son of God, our Creator, our King. We killed him. We hated the light. We preferred to stay in the dark. And so we rejected and crucified the one who could give us life. And yet... John chapter 1 verse 5 is written in the present tense. It doesn't say the light shined or the light shone in the darkness. It says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The rejection of Jesus is not the final note of the story. Jesus was raised from the dead and his light still shines today. And verses 12 to 13 reveal that this light has broken in to some very dark hearts. Let's just turn there, verse 12 to 13, our second reaction at the reception. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John's Gospel tells of people, uh, not, not most, but some people, who begin in the dark, but end up receiving the light of Christ. Let me just mention three of them. So John chapter 3, a guy called Nicodemus, an old man, a Pharisee, a teacher of Israel, who begins by coming to Jesus at night in the dark, He's afraid of what others might think. And he struggles so much to get his head around Jesus' teaching about needing to be born again by the Spirit. But by the end of the story, after Jesus' death, Nicodemus is out in the daylight and he's unashamed to be burying Jesus' body as one who loved him. He was in the dark, but he ends up in the light. And then John 4, the Samaritan woman, she goes to the well in the middle of uh, the day when no one else is around. She's got a past full of shame. And she ends up telling everyone in her city about the amazing person of Jesus who knew everything about her and has given her living water so that she may never thirst again. She was in the dark and ends up in the light. And then John chapter 20, Thomas the doubting disciple struggles to accept the word of others that Jesus has risen from the dead unless he sees him with his own eyes and touches, touches him with his hands. 
Yet when Jesus meets with him, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Most reject the light, that's true. But in his grace, some end up receiving him. Now as a culture, I think we're not very good at receiving things. What do you say when someone gives you a gift? Let's say someone comes around to your house and they give you a, a box of chocolates or a bottle of wine or some flowers, something like that. And what do you say? Well, you say, oh, you shouldn't have. Oh, you didn't need to do that. Oh, it's too much. Or perhaps you think, well, look, now I've got to get someone, something back in return. We're not great at receiving things. We feel much more comfortable, I think, generally in, in giving rather than uh, receiving. Well, can I suggest that as Christians, we of all people should be the ones who say thank you and just receive gifts gladly. Because the light and life that Jesus offers is a free gift of grace to sinners. It is a precious gift. It costs him everything, but it's free for us to receive. A free gift of grace, one that we desperately need, that needs no payback from us in return. If you're not yet a Christian, that's really important for you to know. The gift of life that Jesus offers you is free to you. All you need to do is receive it. Well, how do you do that? How do people receive him? Well, we're told actually the answer in verse 12. What does it say? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. We receive him by believing in his name. We welcome him by faith. They come to believe that he is who he says he is and they receive him in their lives as their Lord and Saviour with gratitude. They simply say to Jesus, my Lord and my God, thank you for all that you've done for me. And then we have this astonishing promise to all who will receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, if you ask people in our society um, out there, if you ask them what Christmas was all about, I suspect that by far the most common answer that you'd get back was that it's all about family. And that can be a source of joy and excitement, of course, or it could also be a source of pain and loss, or for many of us it's both of those things. But one way or another, we feel that it's about family, don't we? Well, John 1 tells us that that's a correct instinct, that Christmas is about family. Jesus entered this world as a baby to create a family, but not a natural one, not one made the normal way, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. No, Jesus Christ gives as a gift to those who receive him by faith the right to become children of God, to be born of God, 
that is spiritually born again by the Spirit into his family with God as our Father and Jesus himself as our big brother with all the rights and privileges that that position bestows upon us. That's why he came at Christmas. Do you know that? Receive Jesus Christ by faith and you will become a child of God. You will gain a permanent place in the heavenly family. We've seen this morning the reaction to the light breaking into the darkness. When people hear the eyewitness testimony about Jesus, that he is the sin-bearing lamb and spirit-filled son of God, well, there'll be a reaction to him. Most will reject him because they prefer to stay in the dark. And sadly, they will stay in that darkness for eternity. But some, some will receive him by faith. And his light and life will flood their hearts and they will come to know what it is to be a child of God. How will you react to the light who is Jesus Christ? Receive him. Let's pray. Our Father, as we've heard these words this morning, we recognise that we are part of the, this world that rejected your son when he came. That we did crucify him. And so, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness, your mercy. And we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to be really clear about that, to be confronted by that this morning, to be sorry for what we have done to our King. But Lord, too, we thank you that in your amazing grace and mercy, that rejection of Jesus has been flipped to become our salvation. Thank you that by faith in him, we can become children of God, something we don't deserve, but which we have by faith. So we praise you for all that you have done through Jesus. In his name. Amen.